Today's episode of Burnt Rubber is brought to you by all the listeners that aren't quite feeling it yet like us. We're recording on a Monday and the procrastination feels very real. The Monday blues are in full swing. So to everyone out there like us, take that extra five minutes sitting in the work parking lot just kicking back. Sleep in those extra few minutes before you got to head out to lecture. There's a productive work week out there ahead for all of us. All right, so we've got three topics slated for today's show. First, McLaren announced their new hypercar, the Elva, and we'll dive into that aerodynamic wonder. Then we'll get into Audi's future plans for EVs and electrifying their sport lineup in specific. And we'll send you home with the latest and greatest automotive tech from CES 2020 out in Las Vegas. Let's do it. You're listening to Burnt Rubber, the official podcast of House of Horsepower with your host, Andrew Dalinga. We are back. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Let's jump straight into it. So our first piece of news is the McLaren Elva. It's McLaren's latest release. It's the newest addition to the Ultimate Series. Now, if you're unfamiliar with it, McLaren has four different series that they categorize all of their basically hypercars by. It may sound a little ironic that they differentiate them all when they're all such a high level of performance and and luxury. But uh, the four different categories are their Sport, Super, Ultimate, and Legacy Series. Again, the Elva now falls into the Ultimate Series. Takes a lot of inspiration. Um, The word Elva in French actually means she goes. Now, Bruce McLaren, um, he is the OG And now he had the open top sports cars in the 1960s. And you'll definitely see that in the Elva. The uh, entire cabin is open. um, And it's built to create the closest connection between car, driver, and elements. And usually you see that relationship. You see a lot of automakers now talking about that experience, the most natural experience you can get between the car and the driver. Um, But McLaren going one step further and, again, opening that cabin, saying they want the elements included too. So that's pretty cool, you know. You're not only... Feeling that uh, relationship between you and the gas pedal, the brake, the clutch, all that, all the mechanical uh, whereabouts underneath you in the car, but also everything outside of you too. It's it's bringing in definitely a whole nother, um, whole nother realm. So now the design of the car, they took a big uh, motto on formed by the wind. It's in all their commercials, all of their short uh, little trailers for the vehicle. Um, so formed by the wind, obviously there's an aerodynamic focus there. And uh, what better to take some aerodynamic inspiration from than Formula One? You see it a lot in the body of the Elva. It's got a lot of clean body lines. Looking at it, they released it in this slate gray kind of blue color. And it is. It's, it's very flat. It reminds you a lot of uh, a Formula One car going down the sides. Uh, you see the jut outs. You see the venting. You see all of the uh, the straight body lines. Of course, you've got those signature McLaren headlamps um, in that curved uh, configuration there. It looks really, really good. One thing that jumped out for me is the wheels. They almost look like they're stolen off of uh, the Acura NSX. They're pretty cool. They actually made our article in the uh, the top rim and wheel combination or t- best wheels of 2019. Um, so definitely, whether, whether they look like the NSX or not, a great choice by McLaren. It's a good looking car on the outside. Definitely a lot of um, design tweaks, a lot of design effort in, in the Elva for sure. Now the production of this car, um, obviously it's another one of those million dollar sports cars, hypercars that, you know, only your billionaires, millionaires are going to be able to afford. So it's limited to 399 units. No surprise there. That's actually a little bit 
more than some of these limited edition vehicles. Um, it's manufactured uh, in collaboration with the British automaker Elva. So not only does that name have some significance in the French language, but also it goes along with another uh, manufacturer. So that's pretty cool. A bit of a collaboration between two British automakers in McLaren and Elva. Um, so delivery, we can expect it in late 2020. So it's it's not one of those that they announce it now and three, four years down the road, you're going to see it. It's not a concept. It's not any of that. We're actually going to see this later this year. Um, and price-wise, as I said, it's way up there. It's probably something we won't see on the roads personally, if not at a car show um, or an auto show, something like that. It's $1.69 million. So hefty price tag there. What uh, warrants that price tag? Well, let's get into it. So the, the mechanics of the car, the engine, it actually shares the engine with the Senna and the Speedtail, um, both of those recently released within the past couple of years. Um, and that's a 4-liter, four, four 4.0-liter twin-turbo V8. Um, big engine, produces a lot of power. Now, they actually brought it up specifically for the Elva. It's tuned to hit 804 horsepower. So it's actually uh, one of the, if not the most, I'll have to fact-check myself there, but one of the most powerful engines in McLaren history. Um, and that's paired with a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission, so pretty standard there. You're seeing dual-clutch in most of the hypercars nowadays. Get you those smooth shifts. Smooth shifting, um, brother. That power controlled down at the wheels. You got sintered carbon ceramic brakes. Um, 3D printed quad-tipped exhaust. That sounds pretty cool. And uh, electro-hydraulic steering. So that sounds like something different as well to look into. Um, some real smooth shifting with the dual-clutch transmission as well as um, a great steering experience with that electro-hydraulic. Obviously, there'll be some paddles involved with that. Um, but it sounds like a really cool driving experience going back to what they said with the whole um, bringing you together with the vehicle um, and, and getting that experience. Now, again, let's let's bring it back. They said not only is it you and the car, but it's also the elements. So where do the elements come into play with all that? And uh, it's pretty obvious looking at the car. Holy moly. You look at this thing and it is, it's entirely open. It's entirely open. The whole cabin has nothing. It doesn't even look really like a, a Corvette or a, I'm sorry, a convertible. It's got a lot of uh, just, just wide open cabin space. And you got racing seats on the inside too that make it look kind of funky, a real luxurious interior. Um, but literally nothing between you and the outside world. So how do they control all that? Um, it's, it's through what McLaren calls the Air Active Management System or ARMS. AAMS, um, and that is essentially a cocoon that's created for the driver and the passenger. Um, McLaren's calling it the bubble of calm. Uh, and what creates that? It obviously doesn't just uh, spawn itself. It's got a front splitter, the, the Elva does, um, like most cars, but that splitter is actually feeding the air pretty specifically up into what you can see. Check out our website and the uh, podcast episode two page to check out the photos we're referencing here. But in the hood of the car, you got a pretty neat looking hood scoop. It's not what you're used to seeing. It's got a lot of venting in it um, and it, it's quite large. It spans the entire width of the hood. Um, so the function of that is it's taking in all the air collected or directed through that front splitter. It directs it upward through the uh, um, kind of like the engine bay. So I'm sure there's some cooling going on there too, but directs it up through that uh, hood scoop, which is active. It's got a little flap in it that can uh, uh, protrude out and up into the airstream and direct that air that's coming again through the front splitter and then up into the hood scoop. And that, that uh, little flap, it directs the air 130 degrees up and over the cabin of the car. So again, creating kind of that uh, bubble of calm 
as uh, McLaren calls it. And it activates over 25 miles per hour. So, you know, if you want to go cruising through the neighborhood, you're trying to look cool, get the whole scenic uh, view of all your neighbors looking at you in this uh, hyper car that looks like it came straight out of outer space. You know, they can they can see you with your hair back flown in the wind and all that. But as soon as you get over uh, 25 miles per hour, that system, the AAMS, does kick back on. Um, and they say it performs best under 70 miles per hour. So if you're looking to pull some stunts in the car out on the highway, get too fast, you might want to bring a helmet along. <laughs> Unless you enjoy having lots of bugs, uh, some mud, maybe some tar, and definitely quite the hairdo as you get out of the car at wherever your final destination is. But above 70 miles per hour, they're saying uh, don't entirely trust it. The performance of that AAMS Air active management system is not going to be as efficient, but it is, it is very cool. That's a whole different thing we haven't seen before. And I'll be honest, when I first saw the car, I wasn't really for it. It took me a while to have to read up on it and learn about it a bit more to, to see the science that went into that whole air system and creating that experience for the driver. Cause it is, if it works, that's going to be really cool. It's not just going to be that funky looking car without a roof and without a windshield and without any of that. Um, now, to, to point out, it is worth noting that uh, McLaren did say they will be releasing a U.S. edition that has a small windshield or um, uh, window, whatever you want to call it, windshield, um, that will be in the front of, uh, of the car. So there will be an edition, if, if you're not too trustworthy, of McLaren's engineering that you can go ahead and uh, get yourself a little bit of extra, extra protection. But again, going back to that, I wasn't too keen on the design at first. I looked at it and said, that's not really something I want. I'm not really into the whole convertible look. You look at a convertible and you say, well, how functional is it? You know, can you pull the top up and down quick? Is it a soft top? Is it a hard top? Um, for me, I would only ever buy a hard top. But you're looking at this car and you're saying, I don't know if I'm really sold on it, especially not for a, as if, uh, you know, you know, thinking if we had the $1.69 million to afford the car, is that really what we're going to put our money towards is such a bizarre looking car. But after you read up on it and you, you learn about the engineering that goes through it and you realize you might not have mud and bugs all over your face the entire time you're driving it, especially for most people just on a, a Sunday drive, the things you do with these, these cars that... Uh, the millionaires, billionaires like to, to buy and, and drive if they even drive it at all. You know, it might sit in a stockpile, but it, it could be really cool. I think after after reading up on it, learning about it, I underestimated a bit. Um, and again, it, it's not only uh, a sports car. It's not only this new innovation in aerodynamic engineering, but it's also your standard luxury car. I mean, this thing's coming with everything from a full leather interior. You got your carbon fiber trim. It's got a real nice uh, carbon fiber racing seat package. Um, when they released it, it's got a nice tan leather that wrapped those carbon fiber seats. So you're not just sitting in something that's um, specific to racing. It actually looks like it can be decently comfortable, assuming the air active management system works. It's got a nice big touchscreen on it. Um, it does definitely have a feeling of you and the car. There's not too much going on. You have a small infotainment system. I did say it's it's big, but it's relatively big for a touchscreen, you know, compared to the Teslas, compared to some of these new electric cars. It's not like it's spanning the entire car. And then you've got an electric gauge cluster. Um, but other than that, you, you don't have crazy buttons everywhere for all the the climate control for infotainment and all that. It's definitely McLaren went all out trying to make that experience between you, the car, and the elements. Um, so it is it is pretty cool. But again, it, it is worth noting that it is a uh, comfortable, sporty-looking interior as well. 
And it wouldn't be a correct summary if I didn't sum up some of those other specs everybody wants to hear. So we, we mentioned the horsepower. It is all the way up at 804 horsepower. It uh, matches that with 590 pound-feet of torque. Uh, zero to 60, it's going to get there in less than three seconds. They don't release an official time yet, um, but less than three seconds. And zero to 124 is 6.7 seconds. That is an exact statistic that they have released. And I find that kind of funny too, going back and forth. It took me a while to, to convert all of these numbers. When you're looking at a British automaker, they're following an entirely different uh, unit of measurement in all of those categories. So there's a lot of back and forth between um, us uh, Americans, us United States uh car geeks and uh, those building them overseas. Um, but impressive numbers nonetheless. And also uh, they did make an emphasis on obviously the aerodynamics of the car. And in doing so, they built the lightest car in McLaren history. Another statistic uh, to mention is that it is less than the Senna. Again, it's one of those statistics they don't release quite yet. It will be the lightest car in McLaren history and less than the Senna. And the Senna weighs 2,641 pounds. So you look at that and you're thinking, okay, we got a car that's less than 2641, so it's probably going to hit right around 2600. Um, I couldn't imagine it'd be too far lower than that. And hitting eight above 800 horsepower, that's quite the feat for McLaren. Uh, something they're definitely good at is managing both weight and power together. So that's really, really cool. Again, make sure you check out the... Uh, the podcast page here for episode two, because you can't really recognize the beauty of this McLaren Alva without seeing it for yourself. So we mentioned the first combustion car, you know, we gotta, we gotta have a, an equal split here. So not only do we get the McLaren Alva, which is a spark ignition engine running off of gas, but we also have next up, as we mentioned, the Audi electric line. Uh, so Audi has been in the news on and off about this topic um, dating way back to all the way in 2009, um, at the International Motor Show in Frankfurt, Germany, they teased their first uh, two sports sedans that both looked a lot like an R8 um, that they claimed to be electric, or at least at the time, um, plug-in hybrids. Uh, they released them, or at least announced them, whatever you want to call it, at these events um, in a, a red-hot kind of a cherry color in Germany that was good-looking, and a silver that was extra reminiscent of uh, that everyday driver supercar um, that is the R8, and that silver one was in Detroit. Um, now, the plug-in hybrids were then uh, advanced a little bit more. Uh, they expanded that to the A3 model um, down the road, uh, and then in 2015, they actually they kind of ditched the, the T's, and they actually made an R8 e-tron. Uh, again, that was in 2015, but it was considered quite the failure. It didn't go right for a lot of reasons. They shut down production after just 100 units, um, so a bit of a shaky start. It was a lot more of rumors, a lot more of concepts, a lot more of showing things off at auto shows than actually doing quite uh, much of anything. Um, but all of that really evolved into the singular e-tron vehicle that we see now. And that Audi e-tron is a crossover SUV. Um, the one uh, out right now for the 2020 model year, it's it's got some good stats. I mean, you got to keep it all uh, relative. The stuff that we post here at House of Horsepower and speak about on uh, Burnt Rubber is a lot of the really performance edition stuff. And don't get me wrong, Audi has a lot of uh, performance vehicles. But when I tell you these stats of the e-tron, don't... Uh, don't take them for uh, less than what they are because they are good specs. So it's got a 95 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery. Uh, it's got two motors, one in the front, one in the rear. 
Uh, it hits 402 horsepower, so just over that 400 horsepower mark, uh, and 490 pound-feet. Um, both of those are in boost mode, so this car is kind of like a Porsche Taycan application where, you know, you, you get a little um, extra oomph for just a little bit at a time, um, but, you know, everybody wants the maximum stats. So 402 horsepower and 490 pound-feet of torque. Um, that is paired with 204 miles of range. So pretty good, a, a little bit on the lower end from what we're used to seeing. Um, but it is a crossover, so you do have to recognize that. Um, and now fast charging though, that can make up a little bit for the mile, uh, the mileage on it. You get, uh, 54 miles out of just 10 minutes of charging. So that's pretty cool. You know, you're looking at, uh, most people's uh, daily commutes, 54 miles that, that at least at the very least gets you one way. Uh, and all that comes at at a base price of $75,000. Um, so that is the current e-tron that is made, uh, by Audi. So something you can buy something that is out on the roads. It's not any of those concepts or any of those, uh, uh, tested uh, electric vehicles that we were talking about at the beginning. That is the current model that they offer, but we're not here to talk about that. That's kind of the foundation of what we're talking about. Um, so for the past couple of years, Audi Sport has teased a couple of different plans. Stefan Winkleman, now the CEO over at Bugatti, you, we heard his name on our, on our last podcast when we talked about Bugatti's 300 mile per hour speed record. Um, but Winkleman said, that the first Audi Sport EV will come in the end of 2020. And that was a year or two back. So it's been a while since we've heard that. So we're kind of jumping forward with that statement. Um, he also said there's going to be a focus on crossovers due to global popularity. And that one's definitely um, uh, seen coming. You know, that's a lot of the stuff we're seeing. Now, are they true crossovers? No, probably not. You look at the new Ford Mach-E, that's definitely pretty small. Um, really cool car, but uh, you know people are boosting these uh, these capacities, these passengers, these cargo ratings, and all that to be more than they really are. You know it happens in all of these uh, sportier crossovers. You see it in Maserati, you see it in the new Lamborghini Urus, you see it in a lot of these newer cars. Um, so they will be labeling most of these crossovers whether they can uh, handle too much of that uh, SUV payload. We don't know, um, but we've come to know it. Now, they also say they're going to offer more than 30 electrified cars by 2025, and that's going to account for 40% of their sales, and that is an awesome statistic because if you look at a lot of these companies right now, 30 electrified cars, most of them have maybe one, maybe two, so offering more than 30 electrified cars, granted that's going to be, you know, we're going to count the e-tron and then uh, three different trim models and then a couple different powertrains. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to see, we're not truly going to see 30 different models, but 30 different options, maybe three, four models, even five. I mean, 30, that, that's a lot. And, and that's saying something for Audi. They're putting a lot of effort, a lot of resources, a lot of engineering into this new electrified uh, platform. Um, and 40% of sales, that's a lot. They're trusting that consumers are going to make that jump um, within the next five years. Um, that 40% that of their sales of Audi alone is going to be via electrical vehicles. And that's awesome. Um, again, we mentioned that they have a focus on crossovers, but they do own the J1 platform, um, which is a electrical platform that offers uh, the ability to build a performance EV on top of it. And that's something really cool. We saw them tease the Audi e-tron GT, the Grand Tourer, uh, which would use that J1 platform. And now it teased it in what would be the equivalent to an Audi A7 style exterior. So a little bit bigger of a sedan, 
Um, and it was a really cool looking car. It had 582 horsepower specked out on it. Um, and it also had 612 pound feet of torque and a 3.5 second zero to 60. So some really cool statistics. And with that GT label and uh, the general stigma around Audi interiors, it's going to have a great interior guaranteed with all the bells and whistles that these new electrical vehicles have. That's a guarantee. You know, you'll, you'll have plenty of screen real estate. You'll have plenty of technology hopefully a couple added bonuses as most of these companies are coming out with uh, to drive that uh, electrical innovation, um, some cool new features. And they say that actually will hit production in the end of 2020. So when they say, um, going back to Winkleman's statement, that the first Audi Sport EV will come in the end of 2020, that's probably what we're getting. I think you can say that's a pretty good guarantee by now. But everybody's got to sit and they got to think. There's all these other Audi, Audi cars. You know, you've got the Audi R8. We've got all these other supercars that... Um, you could consider being Audi's halo cars. Are those ever going to get the same treatment? Um, and now the current CEO shot, he says a super sports car is necessary. You have to have that halo car to represent your brand. And in this day and age, it's going electric. You got to keep up with the competition. You got to drive forward, uh, what consumers are expecting, um, what emission standards are expecting. So that new super sports car will be electric. So they're almost saying um, even though there was that uh, that skip in management, we've now got shot under control. He's still saying, sticking with Winkleman's statement, that uh, it will not only be electrified vehicles from Audi, but Audi Sport will be releasing some uh, very cool electrified vehicles too. And they did mention uh, Remac. We wrote an article about the Remac C2, the Concept 2, a while back. They did mention that they would recruit some help from Remac. They are in the area over in Europe. Um, and they do have a specialty in performance electrified vehicles. Um, so that is a very smart move by Audi. You might as well take uh, the best notes you can uh, from the guys who are doing it right and who have proven to produce some of the best, uh, even jumping up a level, hypercars um, on electric platforms. So that could be a very cool collaboration. Um, but yeah, so big things ahead. And we've got a question for you based on that news that Audi is jumping and really putting a lot of confidence in their electrified vehicles in the future. What brand could be an automaker or what car, anything go crazy, go wild. There's no limits here. Would you love to see, uh, get the electric treatment, um, to be electrified? I don't know. For me, I'd have to say, I think it'd be very, very cool to start seeing some of what, um, what, uh, they are doing over there at Dodge, getting an electric treatment, whether it is just capacitors, whether it's just batteries, whether they're becoming, um, not fully electric, but just getting some help from, from hybrid technologies. I think it would be really, really cool to not quite ditch. I, by no means do I want to ditch those V8s, um, uh, supercharged V8s. There's definitely a certain aesthetic to them. There's supercharger wine can't go anywhere too soon, but I'd love to see an electric, uh, aversion, an electric addition, something really cool. Um, that could really drive that, uh, that power, that big muscle that you see over with the Dodge Chargers and Challengers. Um, but, but give it a little bit of a, an e-label on it, an e-badge. So tell us what you guys think you want to see um, in terms of an electrified vehicle or just a brand that you think would give it the best shot. So getting into our last topic of the show today, we have CES 2020. And that is one of my favorite events because it combines two of my favorite things. I love technology. I love geeking out over the new laptops, the new phones audio products, TVs, all that really cool stuff. Um, and at CES 2020, they have all of that. But then they also have a lot of automotive technology too. So it's really cool that those two can come together for a pretty neat show out in Las Vegas. 
Um, so this year, a lot of automotive companies came around because if you think about it, there is a lot of technology in cars now more than ever with uh, autonomous vehicles, electrical vehicles, um, all that sort of stuff. So I just wanted to hit on a few of the key visits from uh, some of the automakers that showed out. So first up is Mercedes-Benz. They brought out what they are calling the Vision AVTR. Now, AVTR stands for Advanced Vision Transportation. Don't ask me where the R comes from. Apparently, it's not listed in the name, but the Vision AVTR is what they brought out. And now, that's a car that was built uh, to represent the movie Avatar. Um, it was taking a lot of inspiration from the 2009 movie, and they even had a little bit of help from James Cameron, the director and writer of Avatar itself. Uh, hopefully, he didn't bring any ideas over from his movie Titanic. That didn't end very well. Um, so hopefully it's not crashing, hitting any icebergs or anything like that. But uh, at least on the showroom floor, it was really, really cool. So the whole concept of the Vision AVTR from Mercedes-Benz was a environmentally friendly, kind of organic looking and uh, truly feeling car. Uh, you can drive it through not a steering wheel, but what Benz is calling a multifunctional control element. Uh, and that control element is basically a stack of ovals, very futuristic looking, very natural looking, uh, in which you kind of hover over and use as almost like a joystick to drive the car. They didn't show any demos. I don't know if you can actually drive the car via it, but that's what they're saying controls the car. That's pretty cool. They also said it senses the driver's heartbeat and breathing. So taking it a step further and kind of getting personal with the driver, that's really cool. Um, and following that kind of natural feeling, they have an organic graphene-based battery. It's 110 kilowatt hours, so pretty decent in size. And it's entirely compostable, which is really, really cool. That graphene technology is something we've definitely heard about lately. Definitely going to drive the, uh, the battery industry forward. And to see it in phones, uh, that's a big rumor that's coming up. But now on a bigger level, in cars... Hopefully we can see a lot of improvement there. I can only imagine um, what that 110 kilowatt hours can produce. And actually, never mind, we have the statistic there. It's a 435 mile range. So that's a lot. You look at some of these new cars, the Rivian R1T hitting about 400 uh, miles of range or just over that on a much bigger battery. I think it's 180 kilowatt hours. So graphene definitely driving that industry forward. Um, and now they also said that not only is the battery compostable, but the car itself is made of 100% recyclable materials. So that's really cool. And uh, I think that's something we'll also see in the future of cars here is a lot more envir environmentally friendly materials, not only in uh, our propulsion technologies, but uh, in the materials that the uh, automotive industry decides to use here in the future. And now this car also had some pretty wild things. We said it was inspired by Avatar. Um, and, you know, that's a that's a lot of, a lot of blue people flying around. You know, we're, we're, this car does look like it's coming straight out of Pandora, straight out of the movie Avatar. So what makes it look like that? Well, it's first up, you can't deny the bionic flaps is what they're calling them. Those span the hood um, and the rear of the car. Uh, and they almost look like scales. They are active. You could see them moving up and down. They did not indicate whether they were any sort of an aerodynamic feature, but very cool nonetheless, very wild looking, uh, a little bit prehistoric, almost dinosaur-like. Um, and they also have transparent doors. They open upwards, kind of in a butterfly style. So those are really, really cool. Kind of makes you one with the, uh, the outside, almost like that McLaren we were talking about today. Um, also, leaf hammock seats. They recline all the way back to 180 degrees. So that's a real... Uh, real relaxing driving experience. You got to imagine there's some autonomy planned for that vehicle too, if you can uh, go all the way down to a 180 degree angle in your chair. 
Um, 360 degree soundscape. So that's awesome. I'm sure a lot of uh, different audio companies that were at CES had a hand in that. Um, 360 degree auto or audio sounds really cool. Something that really envelops you. Um, we mentioned the 435 mile range. That's, that's awesome. Um, and that indicates that uh, Mercedes-Benz is really going to put an effort into the electric vehicle um, industry or sector. They say specifically 50% of their sales will be electric by 2030. So that's huge. We mentioned Audi just now saying that that would be about 2025 for them and their timeline. 2030, still a decade out, but that's that's sooner than you'd think for 50% of the sales. So we're really seeing an incline in uh, a lot of the automotive companies and their efforts in the electrical sector. Moving on, we have the Sony Vision S. Yes, you heard that right. That is Sony. They brought a car to CES, and that's really cool. And it makes a lot of sense, despite it being a bit of a surprise. Um, now, it's a concept electrical car, and they made it to showcase their electronic portfolio. Sony does a lot of electronics, and they do them really well. You look at the uh, A7 series, A7R series of cameras, and the A6000 series of cameras. You look at their audio product and their headphones and their speakers, all their different sorts of displays and TVs and such. Um, They do a lot that goes into cars. So why not build a car out of it? That's awesome to bring and uh, kind of showcase what you're capable of. They didn't have any plans to produce this, not even in a limited run. It was specifically a concept car that would show all of its abilities. You know, it was drivable. It did have... Uh, range, uh, horsepower, all that. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, and due to that, they had a little bit of help. They didn't do it just themselves. It is uh, a true physical uh, car that you could drive. So they recruited the help of Magna, the tier one supplier out of Troy, Michigan, to uh, help them manufacture and produce that single prototype of the car. Um, of course, not only does it have all of those things figuratively in the cameras, the audios, and the displays, but they actually implemented them in the car. And we'll start with the cameras. There's 33 sensors made up of not only cameras, but LiDAR, radar, and ultrasonic sensors. And uh, all of those sensors make it uh, partly autonomous. Very, very cool there. Um, They also do a lot of stuff within the car and interacting with the driver. If you look at the... um, trailers they released for the car. Uh, It has a lot of cool features where the driver is communicating with their friends over this giant dashboard, kind of communicating with them, letting them know where they are. Their friend can see them on a map when they get in the car. It welcomes them into the car, all that stuff. So all of those sensors, not only for autonomous activity, but also for the user experience as well. And cameras are also seen in the uh, exterior mirrors on the car uh, where they replace those bigger, chunkier rear view mirrors. Um, I'm sure that helps with the aerodynamics. You see that accounting for a lot of drag. uh, And that's a big thing in electrical cars these days. You're trying to make use of all that electric power you get. And so how do you do that? Through aerodynamics. So I'm sure not only is that a cool tech feature of the Sony Vision S, but it's also something that helps out with aero as well. Now they brought their second um, form of tech in audio into the seats. They actually have speakers in the seats of the Sony Vision S. And that is really cool. So not only can you hear the sound, but you can also feel it. So that's that's pretty darn cool. I'd love to sit down and, and check that out. Um, moving on to their last piece of technology, and that is displays. They have a panoramic display controllable, controllable by the driver and passenger. It spans the entire uh, front of the cabin where you would see a dashboard, where you would see a center console. I mean, it, it doesn't stop. It goes from one one window to the next, 
And it is really cool. It's fully developed. It was fluid with the ability to play music, movies, show calendars, maps, everything. I mean, it was a a display that was capable of anything you'd need while driving. And again, we said in that trailer, it showed some awesome stuff of not only it being a display, but it being able to communicate with friends, drivers, all of that other stuff. And we'll link that uh, below on the podcast page of the website so you guys can check out what we're talking about. Uh, now specs, they did release a few, as I said. It's got a 0 to 60 time of 4.5 seconds, so not too shabby, especially for first car that a, a company was to make, not even an automaker. Um, and two motors, 200 kilowatts each, one in the front, one in the rear, pretty standard there. A 149 mile per hour top speed. You got to think if their uh, engineers and their um, marketing people were to say, ah, well, what can we do to kick it up to that 150? But they kept it at 149. Nonetheless, that's an awesome speed to see. And it's got a 300 plus mile range. They didn't give anything specific after that, but 300 miles or more. So that's quite awesome. You, you appreciate other companies uh, dabbling in the automotive industry. Sony could definitely make something out of this. We'll see. Obviously, they didn't say that they plan to produce it, but you don't really do all that and put all that effort in unless you maybe have some plans for the future. So maybe not now from Sony, but keep your eyes open. They may be in the automotive industry soon. One person that is definitely in the automotive automotive industry is Jeep. And Jeep showed out their electric plans. FCA announced that they had plans to electrify all Jeep powertrains by the spring of 2022. That comes with the announcement of a couple other of their brands as well. You hear from Alfa Romeo and their electric lineup that's coming out. Um, so it is definitely a focus over there at Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. Now, specifically, the Wrangler Compass and Renegade are going to be getting this electric treatment. And it's going to be in the form of PHEV, so a plug-in hybrid elec- electric vehicle. Um, two electric motors combined with 1.3 turbo four-cylinder engines. Um, so typical kind of what you see from them now, that lower-end engine um, backed up from electric power. Uh, and they also said they're going to be rebranding a bit instead of the 4x4, the Jeep 4x4 name. Uh, it will be changed for those vehicles specifically to the 4xE badge. And it's pretty cool. It's got a little scroll style light blue E uh, 4xE badge on the rear of the trunk. So that's pretty cool. Uh, looking forward to seeing those on the road. I know those are really popular vehicles. Everybody likes their Jeeps. And we don't have too many off-road electric vehicles yet. You know, again, going back to that Rivian R1T and keep an eye out. We got an article coming out on that very soon. Um, really cool car, but again, now Jeep jumping in, there's not many off-road vehicles that have, uh, an electric powertrain. So that's awesome to see them jumping in and, uh, kind of setting the path for others to follow. Now, last up on the list was the Audi's AI Mia. Now this, you may not recognize it's actually being developed out of Shanghai. Um, so us in the United States may not get a lot of word about it, but they did. Audi brought it to, uh, CES to show off here in Las Vegas in the United States. And it's designed to be a third living space, which is really cool. It kind of takes it away from the car being something just for transportation and makes you thinking or makes you think of it as something you're living in um, or a workplace or a relaxation place, you know, whatever you want to use it for. And what makes it that? Well, they have a few different things. A retractable desktop, the steering wheel actually disappears back into the dash and is replaced by a retractable desktop. Uh, So you can get some work done while you are sitting back and uh, watching the car drive itself. And we'll get to that in a minute because it's got quite the autonomy to it. Um, It also has armchair style seats, so real comfortable lounge chair uh, seats. Wood and fabric lined interior, so you know you're not feeling like you're in a car, you're feeling like you're more so at home. Um, plants in the center console, and they line the roof a bit. The roof is wide open almost. It's a, it's a majority uh, glass, 
um, with some wood paneling as well. Again, kind of bringing in those natural elements. Uh, magnetic coffee cup holder, that's awesome. Your drinks aren't going anywhere. You got somewhere to put them. And like we said, it's very autonomous. Level four autonomy. So definitely supporting the fact that it's a living space, not something you're expected to drive. You can take your eyes, your hands off the wheel, uh, off the road and let the car do all the work while you go about whatever you need. And while your friends go about it too, there's uh, a backseat to this town style car. It is a small car. Um, by, by no means are you getting a, a living room out of this car, but the backseat does have um, sort of a lounge area, a circular lounge area for your passengers to also kick back and uh, kind of just chit chat, do whatever they need, take a nap. Uh, it sounds like a pretty comfortable car. I'm sure you could do it. And sticking with that autonomous feel, you're not even expected to click any buttons or shift any dials or touch a touchscreen. There's eye tracking to navigate uh, the infotainment center. So that's awesome. You can you can be laying back. You can be doing your work. Time to switch a song. Maybe time to switch um, maybe the driving mode, maybe uh, whatever else you got to do. You do that with your eyes. So that is awesome. That's something you've kind of seen in phone technology um, in the accessibility settings of phones. Um, but to bring it to a car and trust that in a car is really, really cool as well. That's going to wrap things up here for the second episode of Burnt Rubber. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Make sure to check out our website at house-horsepower.com or click on the link in the description to see all the pictures and videos that go along with today's episode. I'm telling you, you got to see that McLaren Elba for yourself. We'll see you guys for the next lap around the track. Until then, this is Andrew Delinga from Burnt Rubber signing off.